My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. There's no right or wrong answer. Everyone has different purposes and goals in investing. Um, but for me, when I, when I sell a property, it's about purely a money-making exercise as an investment property. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode of Invest Like a Pro, we're chatting with founder and director of Housefinder, Simon Liu. We explore his personal property journey to uncover when and why you might sell an investment property and he shares with us how you can turn a $300,000 investment into a $1 million sale in just five years if that is your goal. To contextualize, he will use an example from his own property portfolio that has taken over 8 years to build. His goal was to get around $100,000 passive income. So you may be asking, why would he decide to sell any of his properties if his portfolio was generating a recurring substantial income? Initially, my goal was to achieve enough passive income uh, to quit my day job, uh, which took me about 8 years uh, from buying zero properties. Uh, and uh, after I achieved about 100,000 passive, uh, passive income during that eight-year period, uh, I uh, had a lot of people reach out to me to see if I can help them achieve something similar because most, I think most investors have a goal of achieving passive income to get what we call financial freedom. Uh, and uh, you know, for the past uh, seven or so years, I've been running a, a buyer's agency called Housefinder, uh, where we've been uh, helping clients uh, achieve uh, achieve similar goals. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of a, a short spiel about, uh, you know, my, my journey to date. Uh, when I uh, accumulated enough properties to get 100K passive income within that eight-year period, uh, I had accumulated about 12 properties at the time. Uh, I was only earning about eighty dollars to $100,000 in my day job. So not like a spectacular salary, fairly average kind of salary. Uh, and, you know, even from when I first started buying properties, I realized that for me to get enough properties to actually achieve passive income uh, could not be done on savings alone. Right, it would be impossible to save 60, 70, 80,000 as a minimum to buy decent enough properties 
to add to my portfolio. So, you know, early on, I, I, I realized, you know, the only way to do it is uh, what I've been talking about in, in many episodes that we've done together. <laughs> and, you know, the biggest thing is to get, get bargains, get good deals, get properties, you know, at a price that's genuinely below market value. And I know that term gets thrown around a lot, but genuinely below market value means that you actually pull out real equity, real money from that property almost immediately after buying it. And then you can use that equity to accumulate more properties down the track. So, you know, that enabled me to, you know, earning $100,000 a year in some years by three properties or two properties. And over the years, I accumulated uh, uh, 12 properties. And during that time as well, I also sold down a few, the ones that made a a lot of money. Um, And with the profit from those sales, I paid off some of the other ones that I had in my portfolio at at the time. So ending up with about four houses four to five properties of the 12 houses that I had just fully paid off or fully offset uh, with, with, with cash. And that enabled me, that's what enabled me to get the hundred K passive and quit my job and got bored and started the, 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 the buyer's agency house finder business. And yeah, I've just been running, running ever since. So that's, that's kind of like a spiel about me. Because the thing is, is that's, that's perfect because it goes to show like what you've been doing in the past, being able to buy a lot of these properties, as you said, it's been thrown around under market value and so forth. You actually do it every single day with the clients because we've shared a lot of case studies about this and a lot of them, you know, real life, 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 um, yeah, real life type of scenarios that they've been able to buy, you know, a very good deal the market get it revalued and then be able to pull the equity out and you've done that multiple times in your own personal journey which is why you know you've accumulated so many properties because you basically leapfrog from one property to another property and so forth and you know i guess at the end of the day we wanted to sort of maybe have a discussion about this recent property that you've actually not necessarily purchased but recently sold and most people go "Hmm, why are we talking about selling a property this time around because you've been you know, talking about buying. So this is actually an interesting topic that we wanted to talk about, you know, when when is probably the best time to exit or sell a property? And, you know, this is an excellent case study that you can share with us. I think there's a lot of emphasis in property investment about buying and holding a house for as long as you can, uh, which is great. It's definitely got gotten me to where I am today with the properties that I've bought for myself. Uh but exit strategies and selling is a very, very important and integral part of not only making money, but also helping you progress onto bigger and better investments, right? So, you know, throughout my, the 15 years that I've been investing in property, you know, by and large, I've only been buying, but on occasion, I've also sold down a few houses. And recently, I've just uh, 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 sold a property that's not even settled yet. Uh, it is unconditional, but it hasn't settled yet. Um, and for me personally, there are uh, three reasons why most investors should decide to sell a house. Okay, so the first reason is if let's say you've bought a house for four hundred thousand dollars, and in a few years time it's doubled in value to 800 or even a million dollars 
right? Which is something that we've seen a lot of in recent years. Um, at that point, you might think to yourself, okay, cool. It's doubled in value in such a short amount of time. What, what's the likelihood that it's going to, to, to achieve that same level of growth in the next five years or the same amount of time frame? And if the question is not likely, or sorry, the answer is not likely, then that may be reason enough to take profit, to take the profit, take the money, and use that money somewhere else. Even if you, maybe if you, even if you don't use it, you might think to yourself, it's kind of just the, the the likelihood of this property continuing to perform over the next few years is is probably not that great, you know. So that's one reason that where you may walk away, and you can use that. Uh, uh, profit that you make by selling if you don't reinvest it to offset maybe a few other properties that you have you don't necessarily need to pay them down but you might have an offset account or offset facility with the loan and you chuck that cash into the offset and you're essentially owning a or one or two properties fully unencumbered with no debt and that may bring you eight seven hundred eight hundred dollars a week of, of passive income until you decide or you, until you know what you want to do with that money to maybe reinvest it into another area, another property, or maybe externally into shares or business or whatever it is. Um, the, the second reason is where it might become, the property that you have <coughs> may become an opportunity cost for you to progress. So for me, an opportunity cost in the world of property can come into two ways. The first way is if it stops you from borrowing more money. So I know a lot of clients, myself included, that have hit what we call the serviceability wall many, many times. The serviceability wall is basically you've borrowed so much money across multiple properties that the banks just simply see you as too risky and your prospects of borrowing more money to buy the next property is, is, is not, not possible. So at that point, at that point, you might think to yourself, okay, cool. For me to progress onto more money-making properties, I may need to sell some of the existing ones just to free up some borrowing capacity. Basically pay down the debt so you can provide, show the bank that you can actually have some additional equity, not only that, but service belly from your portfolio. I think obviously if you do get to that stage, you might look at you across your portfolio. Again, similar to the first point that I made, which property has made the most money? Um, or which property might be causing me some <coughs> some headaches, some dramas, you know, in order for me to uh, to let go of that, so that I can move forward onto uh, an area that's emerging, uh, another property or another location or another investment that may bring me more return at the end of the day. Right? So that's the second reason why I would um, I would uh, uh, let a property go. Uh, sorry, the second part of that uh, in terms of the opportunity cost is similar to the first thing, as in like if if I have a property that has doubled in value recently, should I take that money and put it into another area that's more likely to double in value in the short term as well, right? So using a recent example, geographically, uh, when a lot of people made a lot of money very quickly in the Sydney market, Maybe it would have been wise for them to have sold uh, and put that money into Brisbane 
three years ago and for that money to literally double again, you know? So it's kind of like, that's, that's what, that's what I would consider an opportunity cost, right? Because a lot of people hold on to these houses for dear life and they, in their mind, they think to themselves, oh man, I bought this house for $300,000. It's now worth a million. If I sell it, there's no way I can buy that property back for $300,000, which is completely true. But you have to, you have to just remind yourself the purpose of you owning that property in the first place. Is it for you to live in? Is it for you to feel good at night when you sleep that you own a million dollar property that you only pay $300,000 for, <laughs> you know, or is it to make money, which it's done, you know, so there's no right or wrong answer. Everyone has different purposes and goals in investing. Um, but for me, when I, when I sell a property, it's about, purely a money-making exercise as an investment property. And it makes absolute sense. Opportunity cost is always something, in hindsight, we always look back and go, man, I wish I actually purchased X, Y, and Z in X, Y, and Z suburb to be able to ride that growth. No one knows, you know, at, at the end of the day, no one knows exactly when the next property boom, where it's going to be. But I guess if you rely on some expertise and, and seeing what's happening with some of the experts that are following the market, then you could actually gain from their experience and then follow what they're doing. Just like, you know, we're talking right now, you, you've been in the Queensland market for many years. Now you're gradually shifting to Perth, Western Australia market, because that's where the next, you know, I guess you can say potential opportunities lie. I actually follow the owner-occupied trends, which is something that I, and migration trends as well. You know, it's one of those really basic fundamentals that usually causes a long and a large amount of growth. In a short in uh, uh, over time, but anyway, that's a that's a different conversation. Um, so, the third factor and the reason why I recently sold this particular property is it when it starts to become a bit of a handful, right? So, just to give you a bit of background on this particular house, um, I bought this house in it, this house is in Brisbane. It's in the Logan area. Um, I bought it uh, for two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Uh, in around 2015 uh, as a mortgagee sale, right? Um, when I bought it, $230,000 was cheap. You know, it's like, I mean, the land on it, it's a massive block, almost a thousand square meters, uh, flat block, you know, a good part of Logan, a good suburb in Logan, uh, and it came with a house. Now, the house was nothing special. It was, it was one of those houses where um, it's, it's livable, it's safe, uh, but it's, it's, not, um, it's, not, it's not a house where you'd get like the maximum rent. And it's also one of those houses that would probably scare away a lot of people, to be honest, in terms of like, you know, the, the, the potential maintenance and the costs involved. Yeah, to, to continue to look after it. So what, what were some of the issues that we faced? Because, I mean, you know, in most people's minds are going, I would stay away from something like that because, it, it, you know, there's a lot of maintenance costs along the way. So this house is not fibro. It's not old, uh, like those sort of, 50, you know, 60, 70-year-old fibro houses. It was actually made from a material called Besser Block. So Besser Block are basically concrete blocks, right, where... Uh, you see quite common in uh, car parks and and things like that. Uh, they're actually extremely solid properties. 
right? Very few things can harm a Besser blockhouse, uh, including tenants. It's almost like a war zone house. You know, they build those ones um, underground uh, bunkers out of this type of block. Yeah, and I, I used to work in one, you know, on office with, you know, masonry blocks like this too, and it was solid in anything. But I wonder what happened to your one. <laughs> well, for, you know, one of the reasons why I was appealing this physically for this property was that I knew that te- there was no way tenants can punch a hole in the wall, you know, which is quite common if you're an invest, if you own a few properties, you know, that happens from time to time. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it's, it's true, you know, there's no holes in the walls at this point in time. But <clears throat> what's happened gradually over time with this Besser Block property was the, the slab underneath it has started moving. And Besser Block is not, there's nothing in between it. It's basically just the, the, the block itself that's built, that builds the house, right? So not like bricks where you can actually have some expansion and contraction that allows for that. Yeah, like there's no frame, you know. Yeah, basically. So it's just like these, imagine just like a, a Lego, a Lego house, right? You build just one block on top of the other. So when the foundation moves, you get cracks. And the cracks became so large that you could fit like a hand through them to the outside of the property, right? So, correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, from time to time, I'd get a call about, uh, you know, insects and, <laughs> you know, things going, going through the property. And, like that. and over the, t- the time of ownership, I-, I knew this could not be fixed. It was one of those problems where you basically the only way to do it is to knock it down. Um, so, you know, there were, there were various ways you can do to seal it up. But obviously, as the ground keeps moving over time, you get new cracks. The the uh, the ceiling and the uh, the uh, the the uh, started sort of sagging and coming apart as well from the cornices. Uh, so it, it just got to <coughs> it. You have to remember as well; it's been rented all this time. Now I'm I haven't neglected the the tenant or the property because it's still in a clean functional state, but I did charge quite low rent for the property. I think that was like an appealing factor for my for the tenants that have lived in that property, and they were very long term tenants. And by and large, they were quite happy living there, knowing that it had faults, but they were obviously paying low rent. On, on that fact as well, uh, even though it was low rent, the cash flow was still huge because I only paid two thirty for it. So let's say I could get five hundred bucks a week for this property if it was if it had no had no issues. Even rented at four hundred dollars a week, I was hugely cash flow positive. So, um, you know, yeah, it just got to a point. You know, the current tenant uh, left, or the, the the most recent tenant had left the property, and uh, yeah, it just got to a point where yeah, I couldn't uh, it, it, to to a state where you it, it started becoming unsafe. Coming up after the break, Lou and I consider whether it's worthwhile to renovate the property instead of selling it. Is it really worth it? Is a bit? It's going to be a bit of a Pandora's box. Now, the silver lining on this particular property was block size. He examines a case where it was the right time to sell a property in Queensland. I bought it for two thirty, uh, 
as it's not settled yet, I won't ex tell exactly how much it sold for, but it sold close to 600,000. So in the span of about seven-ish years, uh, you know, way more than 100% growth, way more than double in value. He shares with us the important motivation you should have around the money you get out from selling. A bit of a, uh, an extra tip, I guess. When you sell a property, you should always have something in mind to do with what you're going to like with the proceeds. Right? For me, it was definitely to buy more houses. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. Have you been looking for months and getting frustrated that each property you've seen seems to be a lemon? Or are you after distress, off-market, high cash flow properties in high growth areas, capital city locations? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you are not alone. For being a loyal listener of the podcast, Simon Liu is offering a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote Property Investory. Lou and I continue to discuss about the property he decided to sell and we take a look to see if it was worthwhile to renovate it and fix up the issues, then put a tenant back in. Is it really worth it? Is a bit? It's going to be a bit of a Pandora's box. Now, the silver lining on this particular property was block size. So, at about a thousand square meters, it's uh, subdividable. Uh, and I knew it was subdividable because of the immediate neighbor next door had done it uh, in the past year or two or whatever it was. Now, I didn't bother doing the subdivision. I didn't bother even renovating it. I just wanted to sell it as is. Did you explore that option though? Like why? I did. I did. Yeah. And it, it, it got to a point where I thought to myself, it's not really worth it, especially at this price point, you know, the cost to do a DA, <coughs> to do a DA, whether you're doing on a $500,000 property or a $5 million property, fairly constant, you know, you've got, a, you've got, you've got more, a few more costs on the more expensive property. But clearly the return to do it time-wise and money-wise is worth it a lot more if you have, if you're doing it on a much higher value property. Yeah. So therefore, if you're to spend that money to actually subdivide it, the return from selling to say these two subdivided blocks probably wouldn't have got the same amount of money as you would have maybe just sold it as it is now. I would have made a little bit more money on it, but probably not enough to justify the time and the, and the, and the risk involved. And, and opportunity costs, you know, at the end of the day, as you said, it's, it's, if, if that time that you put into subdividing this, when you could have actually used that same amount of time to get something that's going to generate a lot more income, a lot more profit, you know, it makes sense to go with something else. Absolutely. So I bought it for $230. Uh, as it's not settled yet, I won't ex tell exactly how much it sold for, but it sold close to 600000 So in the span of about seven-ish years, uh, you know, way more than 100% growth, way more than double in value. Uh, the cash flow positive component throughout the entire ownership was worked out to be around about the forty to $50,000 positive cash flow mark. So, yeah, period. Like it was, 
every year it was cash flow positive uh, uh, enough so that it didn't cost me anything. Maybe put like a few thousand dollars in my pocket every year. Nothing to write home about. But at the end of the ownership period, it accumulates. You know, so on top of the, uh, on top of the, you know, let's say, uh, three hundred and fifty odd thousand dollars of profit that I made uh, in capital growth. I also had another forty fifty thousand dollars of cash flow of positive cash flow to add onto that during the ownership uh, of the property. So it was a pretty pretty decent return, uh, regardless of the fact that I didn't do the the, the subdivision. Uh, I do know the person that bought it has the intention to do the subdivision, but they're going to live in one of the properties. So they wanted to buy it, live in it, and then maybe have the other property to sell or rent out or whatever they wanted to. Yeah, or, or knock down, as you said, you know, just to put something else on it as well. Because as you said, this this place, you know, it's not worthwhile to continue to put more money into fixing it. They may as well use that opportunity to subdivide it, knock down the house, and then build, you know, possibly two brand new houses on it and uh, one to live in as well. So that sounds like a very good plan. Yeah, so this was, um, the reason why I sold this property was for the third reason. That I mentioned before, it really just became too much of a handful, uh, and the amount of energy, time, effort, uh, and money to keep maintaining this property that's already had a massive growth run uh, was not worth the what I felt like is was the potential return in the in the short term. Right, so that's when I decided to sell. I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do with the money as yet. Probably just park it in an offset account. Uh, along with a few other uh, offsets that I've got, and um, and yeah, just wait for the next uh, next opportunity to come come around. Well, that, that's really good. Let's let's unpack a little bit more about selling because we've touched on three very good points here. Um, obviously, the whole idea behind us buying investment property is to make money, um, unless you, you've got a different purpose behind it. But as soon as we look at it from the point of view of selling, that changes what you need to also consider as well. And ultimately, you know, if you just have one of these properties, it's great. You've made a profit over the last, say, you know, eight, nine years or so that you've held it and so forth. Um, but at the same time, it's 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 a nice stepping stone to move into it. Now, because Simon, you've built up a substantial portfolio. It's not just one or two. You've got, you know, dozens of these um, there. And if you actually had to decide to consider selling a few of them to be able to pay down the debt and basically bring out your portfolio to be zero, you know, uh, fully unencumbered, there'll be a substantial amount of positive cash flow coming through there. What I'm just sort of trying to get at here is talking about the selling process because you've got to go through those three thoughts or those three things that you just discussed about. And I think it'd be just good to sort of unpack each one a little bit more in detail and um, let's just say, give people some more examples, you know, why they would consider that as well. So the first one being um, uh, you've made enough money or you feel like you've made enough money on it. In any investment, you know, you go through a boom cycle, you go through a boom period and any, 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 anyone that teaches investing or, or, or are, um, have, have found a lot of success in investing themselves always preaches that you know the fact that you should take profit right because properties stocks it doesn't really matter it's not a really it's it's really rarely a consistent forever growth right property in particular it's usually this 
and then this, and then like this. Yeah, so maybe you should describe for people on audio because obviously not seeing you on video, but basically it just goes flat and then it rises exponentially. So yeah, you can have a very long period of no activity, maybe even backwards, it might even go down a bit. And then it'll go up very quickly in a very short amount of time, which is what we've seen happen in, uh, in Brisbane, in, in, in Sydney, in Melbourne in particular. And then you might go through another 10 year flat period where it might even go down a bit. So, you know, if your goal and your purpose is to continue building your portfolio and continue building your properties, it might make sense for you to go, okay, cool. If I bought this house during the flat period and it went up a lot in a very short amount of time, just take the money and run, you know, it might go up further. You might miss out on a little bit more growth. But what you do with that money that you make by reinvesting it into something else, in, in hindsight, you might think I actually made a better decision than the, the, yeah, the little extra bit of money that I could have made. And I learned this early on with one of the properties that I sold in Sydney. Oh, that was the one in West Ride, right? Was that the one? No, this was one in uh, Western Sydney in Blacktown. Oh, Western Sydney, Blacktown. Yes, I remember we talked about that one a long, long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. And, you know, I bought this house, Fibro, on Flushcombe Road, if you know where Blacktown is. It's quite a busy road. Uh, I paid $379,000 for this really run-down asbestos dump. And within five years, I I ended up selling it for, I think it was eight seventy or eight something like that. Um, not even within five years. It was like uh, four years. Yeah. Bought in 2011, sold in 2015-ish. So the property had more than doubled in value in the space of uh, 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 four years, right? And I, I knew that there were some legs left. I knew that over the next five or six or seven years, it would probably keep growing. But then I thought to myself, what can I do with this $400,000 uh, uh, to achieve even more growth than what this little crappy Blacktown house will get me at the end of the day, right? <laughs> so, and yeah, it was true. You know, if I look at that particular property today, it would probably get somewhere around about the uh, maybe a million dollar, $1.1 million mark. Yeah, probably 1.1 around that market. But the thing is, is that you're saying, for example, did you, did you say you sold it back? What was the time that you sold it again? 2000? 2015, all right. So that's six years or seven years worth of growth of about another, say, 300,000. That 300,000, you know, obviously it sounds like the opportunity cost behind that would have been better elsewhere to capture an, a property, say, for example, in Queensland where you could have bought it for, what, you know, 200,000 or something like that. That's exactly what I did. So, for example, you know, at the time, I obviously bought Logan Lee, uh, sorry, this particular property in Logan, which is actually in Logan Lee. Um, and, uh, you know, amongst other properties I bought in Logan and, and other parts of Brisbane at the time, you know, the growth that I've made from that, you know, 400,000-ish profit from that Blacktown sale has been far, 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 far more than what I would have made if I just held on to that Blacktown house until today, right? So it's um, – I didn't know about it at the time. It was obviously, obviously a risk. But then it just makes sense, right? Like if you if you buy something for a dollar and it becomes two dollars in a very short amount of time, 
you should t- seriously think about letting go. Yeah, it's a business transaction when you think about it at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's not emotional. I had zero emotionals attached. In fact, my emotions attached to this Blackdown house was mostly pain <laughs> because old fibro had a lot of maintenance issues. Uh, we talked about borderless investing. We talked about buying interstate. This house was a house that I could drive to, which was an even bigger problem because I was now spending my weekends at the time going to look at this property that was just giving me constant drama and pain. So anyway, emotions aside, I let it go to make money basically. Um, so I think that opportunity cost like, it, it comes down to like so many factors. What's happening in the world at the moment, your personal circumstances, what you want to achieve, your goals, how aggressive you want to go. Um, and yeah, if, if, if it's the right time, then don't, I, I would say don't hesitate. That's great that you've shared that. And it's actually perfect because it ends this segue really well because the question that I really wanted to sort of hone in is if I was to ask you, you know, what's the reasons behind selling it, you got to analyze and have a look at your goals see what the reason is why you bought this because ultimately property itself is a vehicle and you know there shouldn't be any really emotional attachment unless it's your principal place of presence that you're going to live in but it should be used as a vehicle just like shares just like businesses and as long as it's making its money then you basically you know go move forward and, and take wherever you can to make that profit to continue to let it grow otherwise yeah then it just basically just sits there and it could be just a nice property mantelpiece there as part of your portfolio <laughs> not doing or working as hard as it should just to finish off uh, as, a, as a bit of a, uh, an extra tip, I guess. When you sell a property, you should always have something in mind to do with what you're going to like with the proceeds, right? For me, it was definitely to buy more houses. Um, and for this particular sale that's just happened, I've got a few offset accounts that I can chuck that money into. And it would, at the moment, about five percent-ish interest rates. I, I just increased my passive income for now. But I do have goals to buy. I'm, acu- I'm, I'm accumulating at the moment in my property journey, I'm accumulating more capital so that I can uh, invest it into a bigger uh, project or a number of bigger projects that I'm, that I'm considering uh, in, the near, in the near future. So it, it's kind of part of that strategy as well. So if you're planning to sell a house to like, you know, do nothing with the money or maybe spend it on something silly <laughs> then may not be worth it <laughs> thank you to buyer's agent simon lu our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote, Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.